You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Sherlock. To our suffering, my dear. There's not enough scotch in the world for that. <laughs> Shirley, what are you writing now? A little novella. I'm calling none of your goddamn business. <laughs> well, you were invited to stay here for a few days until we can find a place. Shirley has these bouts. She's gone sick in the head. I read your story. What are you doing in here? It made me feel thrillingly horrible. Do you know what it's like to have a secret? What are you up to? That girl, what do you think? Trite and a bit trashy, but uh, give it a go. I like you, Rosie. Can I trust you? I feel like we're in the Scottish play. On the verge of madness. What will happen? Consider secret looks. Freud would have had a field day. I'm counting down from three. Three, two, one. becomes of your dear heroine. What happens to all lost girls? They go mad. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Shirley, and the story is as follows. Fred and Rose move to a small Vermont college town in pursuit of a job for Fred as an assistant professor of literature. The young couple receives an offer for free room and board from Professor Stanley Hyman, as long as Rose agrees to spend time cleaning up the home and looking after his wife acclaimed horror author Shirley Jackson. At first, Fred and Rose detest the rocky household of, of the eccentric couple, but they eventually establish deep bonds with their counterparts, which will test the limits of their young love. The film is starring Elizabeth Moss, Michael Stuhlbarg, Logan Lerman, and Odessa Young. It is directed by Josephine Decker, written by Sarah Gubins. Here to join me for this podcast review, I have Nicole Ackman. Hi, everyone. Lauren LaMagna. Get ready. Josh Parm. Hello, hello. And Dan Baer. What a lovely and insouciant tone you have. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's funny. Um, if, if, if I could tell uh, Josephine Decker anything right now, I would say, uh, your movie is brilliant, darling. I have a few notes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, though, um, Josephine Decker, this is not uh, the beginning of her career. She's actually been working for quite a while. Uh, Madeline's Madeline really put her on the map for a lot of people, though, um, who hadn't previously heard of her work beforehand. And that premiered at Sundance uh, two years ago, I believe. And next thing you know, she's back again this year with Shirley, which world premiered at this year's Sundance Film Festival. It is now on Hulu for everyone to uh, watch. And this one is definitely more conventionally told than Madeline's Madeline was, uh, which was a very true art house indie film if there ever was one. But I think something is very undeniable here. I think that Josephine Decker is really cementing herself as such an exciting, unpredictable filmmaker to continue watching. Um, And I think Shirley is just much more evidence of that when there is a more conventional uh, narrative to go uh, with her 
really, really bold filmmaking choices. I have a lot to say about this one. I think we all have a lot to say about this one. This movie is incredibly dense. Uh, so why don't we pass it off first, though, to Nicole. Uh, Nicole, uh, what did you think of Shirley? So I love films about female writers. Uh, I don't feel like that's probably any surprise. And I think that this is a really interesting one. Obviously, it's a very fictionalized account of Shirley Jackson. And I think to anyone who watches it, it is worth going and looking up some actual stuff about her life because her life really was fascinating. Um, but I think this is one of those films that, like you said, it's undeniable. Those performances are great. It's thrilling. It's got a fantastic screenplay. Like I kept writing down quotes from it yeah. as I was watching because it just kept hitting me again and again. I also won't lie. I was really excited for it because I was a Logan Lerman fangirl back in my teens. Really exciting to see him get to do uh, a fun, you know, really fun and exciting project like this. Um, I've, really really think this is one of the strongest films that has come out this year it's not without its faults which i'm sure we'll get into but i think it's one of the most interesting at least movies that's come out yeah definitely interesting is a uh, good word for it in many ways <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, that's that's for sure uh let's hear now from dan bear um yeah i mean it's it's an interesting one that's for sure um it, I, I did not realize when I sat down to watch it that it was based on a book. And when I realized that, a lot of the density of the movie made uh, more sense to me. Um, it There are so many things that I like about this movie. I was compelled by everything that was happening on screen. Um, I think the script is fantastic the the one-liners in this movie are some of the best in any movie this year so far and i was not expecting that at all um but it it's it, in the end it's really the elizabeth moss show and not much else i think for me she's just so fantastic and looks so much like shirley jackson it's almost uncanny um i uh, my biggest issue with it i think honestly is just the end in that it doesn't really have one interesting okay um depend well i think that depends on whose perspective you're viewing the movie through yeah or or i guess like it just kind of ends okay the the denouement of the whole story is compressed into like maybe five minutes <laughs> I think once you realize that this is not a conventional biopic and oh, this is more not. of a coming of age story for uh, the protagonist, which is not, in my opinion, Elizabeth Moss, but Odessa Young's character. Oh, it, it definitely is. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think then the structure of the movie, which is undoubtedly different, um, I, I think then the ending does kind of bring a little bit more clarity, maybe. Maybe. I mean, like, like you were kind of saying before we before we talk about this, like maybe it's something that grows on uh, another, a second viewing. But I just think that like it ends so fast after this big moment that I don't want to spoil or at least not spoil yet. Um, well, I'm sure we'll talk about it in more detail later. <laughs> sure. Sure. I hear you on that. Okay. Let's go to uh, Lauren. 
Uh, what do I say about this film first? This film's a lot. I saw it less than 24 hours ago. It has not left my mind since. There's a lot to dive into it. I feel like if you liked it, you should definitely watch it again, which I'm planning on doing in the near future just to get more out of it. Um, I don't, going into it, I've read some of Shirley Jackson's novels. I haven't read that much about her life, but I am very fascinated by her. I love her work. Um, I got a lot of, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf vibes to it, which yes. I personally love as the drama mm-hmm. nerd. Oh, yeah. So, like, seeing those scenes of, like, the four of them at the table was just amazing for me. And, you know, there's a quote, I feel like everyone uses the line of that, um, the film is thrillingly horrible. Oh, yeah. Or, um, <laughs> yeah. Which I think is such a great such a great like quote to use around it but it's thrillingly horrible and fascinating and I loved how we focused on the character of Shirley Jackson her unreliable narrator and her point of view that just you can't trust that you are like Odessa Young's character you were just slowly going into her madness where you just don't know what's up and what's down anymore and Mm. I was so encapsulated by that and once the film ended it took me a couple seconds to like get back in. And again, I, this film hasn't left my mind since, and I can't wait to go back to it soon. Nice. Awesome. Uh, Josh? So I find myself being kind of of two minds about this movie. Uh, when it really focuses in on the Shirley Jackson character and we get, obviously, the great performance from Elizabeth Moss and this kind of deep dive into a a creative person's process and and like their relationship to the characters that they create i found all that incredibly fascinating and nuanced and complex and so very very interesting but i do admit i did struggle a little bit when we did focus in on the odessa young character and this couple that's living with them and I have to admit, I felt like that sort of took away a little bit of the power of the more interesting bits of storytelling that were going on in the movie. But overall, I still found it to be a very interesting film, much like Madeline's Madeline. Um, this is obviously a lot more conventional, which says a lot about the, <laughs> the of what kind of a movie <laughs> Madeline's Madeline is. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, it, it's a movie that I feel like really succeeds in some places and kind of struggles to get me engaged in others. But overall is still a pretty interesting portrait of this very complex artist and the process that they go through in trying to find inspiration to create something interesting of, of themselves. And for that, I found it to be a very fascinating story that that was being told, even though I wasn't completely engaged by all of it. So when I saw this movie at Sundance, um, all I knew was that I knew Shirley Jackson was the author of The Haunting of Hill House. And that's been adapted uh, many, many different times. Wait, 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 hold on. You didn't know she also wrote The Lottery? Uh, no, I did not. Are we all live in a castle? No. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> you didn't read The Lottery in, like, sixth grade, and it horrified I, that you is the so your life. Like, <laughs> that is the American, like, education of gothic literature. So I'm kind of jealous that you weren't traumatized by that as a sixth grader. Right? I was. <laughs> no, that was not uh, required reading for me uh, back in the day. introduction uh, of gothic literature. Yep. So needless to say, I'm walking into this movie. I'm pretty much heading in blind, and there's no, you know, no marketing of any kind with this thing. 
Um, I have to admit, this movie knocked me on my ass when I saw it at Sundance. I was blown away by so many aspects of this movie. And I think it's because there is a quote here uh, from the film itself, which is, originality is the brilliant alchemy of critical thought and creativity. And I do believe that uh, the writer of this film, uh, Sarah Gubins, and Josephine Decker, um, Sarah brings the critical thought, Josephine Decker brings the creativity, and thus we get this extremely original uh, biopic, which is not a horror movie um, or a thriller, as the marketing might lead you to somewhat believe um, in, in regards to the quote-unquote madness that uh, Shirley Jackson uh, suffers from. Um, instead, it's more of a mood piece um, that definitely pays homage to the gothic, uh, macabre-like sensibilities that Shirley Jackson had in her writing. There's um, always an uneasy, eerie feeling with the way Josephine Decker directs this film with the handheld camera, the spontaneity, the editing style. You're constantly on edge throughout wondering what exactly is going to happen next because um, the characters of Shirley Jackson and Stan Lee um, have very eccentric personalities. And it it just had me riveted from beginning to end. I, I Like I said, the first viewing, it was so much to take in on a first viewing that I had to hold off on like writing a, a review for it when I was at Sundance because I just didn't think I could do the movie justice without having seen it a second time. And um, I'm glad that I've seen it twice now uh, before we did this podcast review because I definitely feel like I have somewhat of a better grasp on what uh, Sarah and Josephine were trying to get at with this movie. It's it's a lot, <laughs> to say the least. You know, it, it, as we said before, it's about uh, a couple coming into uh, the home of this other couple and the interplay uh, between uh, both of them, or all four of them, rather, and how they all interact with one another. It's also about uh, Shirley uh, writing um, her latest uh, story in which uh, the the main character, the protagonist, uh, has parallels with um, Odessa Young's character, Rose. And then there are even moments in the movie where she's kind of uh, shown in visions uh, like that play out from the story. There's a lot of uh, blurring the lines between what's real and what is actually uh, fiction in this movie uh, to the point that like, man, I, I'm just like I'm I'm more impressed than anything that the movie kind of holds itself together uh, with such bold storytelling choices involved. And those are the sections of the movie that I think are the strongest. Like I was so compelled by how it chose to portray this creative process, which obviously from one perspective seems like very driven by obsession and that, you know, you're not thinking clearly, but as somebody who is creative, you can relate to that notion of getting so invested in the world that you want to create and the characters that are, that need to feel so alive and real in your world that you want to reach out and touch them yourself. And all of that I found to be such a really interesting way to portray that in a way that I had never really seen before. And when the movie focuses mostly on that, those are the moments where I found it to be really, really compelling. I, I, I agree, um, Josh. I think that the the passages with um, that are just with Odessa Young and Elizabeth Moss are by far the best part of the film. Um, or at least they're the most compelling, most interesting parts of the film. Um, and, and not that there's like anything bad with the rest of it. It's just I, not as interesting. Like that stuff all feels 
not new, but at least something that is relatively underexplored in a lot of movies, particularly um, since it's two women going at it and feeding from each other and learning off of each other and becoming something else because of each other. And I, I, I loved that it just really, you could feel that this was this entire project was created and or led by women in Mm -hmm. its depiction Mm -hmm. of these two women and their somewhat symbiotic relationship. And I loved that. It's interesting you say that, um, you know, because I, I love the scene where Shirley, um, who is talking about her story. And once again, as I said before, the story very much uh, that she's working on parallels her relationship with uh, Rose. And she tells um, Stanley that she's trying to write about lonely girls who cannot make the world see them. And she's drawn to that. And that's why she's drawn to Rose as a as a person. And Stanley doesn't find her fascinating at all. And he has also this viewpoint of uh, the Logan Lerman character, um, whose name is escaping me right now. uh, Fred. Fred. And he finds him to just be perfectly adequate and not special at all. And as a result of which, I I, I hear what you're saying, Dan, and that the movie definitely focuses on the women and thus the the women's relationship and everything that they go through is definitely um, the most fascinating aspect of the movie. But I would say that the character of Stanley is one that is also equally as complex. It's poor Logan Lerman, who really is cast aside and is like, you're just the square jawed (laughs) young idiot, you know, (laughs) who has no idea what's going on here. (laughs) No, but I, I do think that the character of Fred is important in how the younger couple provides this kind of foil and in some ways mirror to the older couple and how you see their relationship kind of deteriorate and at first, it seems like, oh, here's this young couple who's very in love. And here's this older couple who are kind of almost at each other's throats, who clearly uh, are, are very condescending to each other. Obviously, like, Stanley's just an asshole in every way, shape, and form. Well, they have, like, a marriage that, that's like an agreement with boundaries, as they say early on, and they yeah. establish to the audience. Well, well. <laughs> and that's one of those things that is, like, I, I wish it didn't plays so fast and loose with history because like it the real is so much more interesting mm-hmm. <laughs> okay and even more fucked up somehow oh geez yeah. but i think it's interesting that you see over the course of the film as rose grows closer to shirley she also grows away from fred and yeah. i think that that's significant and i think that that's part of you know, what we're getting at and that she comes to, she, she before this has kind of relied on Fred and she instead kind of starts to rely on Shirley. And as a viewer, we kind of go along with her and we also get sucked into this fascinating woman. And so I think that there's a part later in the film where Shirley says something that is hurtful to Rose. And like I, as a viewer, I also felt betrayed. I was like, how dare you? Um, but I think that it's a, it's a very interesting thing because ever since I watched Portrait of Lady on Fire, I'm very attuned, I think, to movies about creatives that also kind of explore their muse. And in this, Shirley's muse is kind of split between this actual dead girl or girl who has disappeared. She's presumed dead at this point, I think. Um, and Rose herself and the way that she starts to see them 
you know, she sees Paula in her head as Rose. And so Dessa Young playing both characters. I think that to me is like one of the most fascinating parts of the movie and how she is projecting her ideas onto Rose in some ways about, like you said, you know, these lonely girls who cannot make the world see them. And she sees, I think, something of herself in Rose, but she's like at a very different stage uh, in her life and her development than this younger woman is. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Spoiler alert, because I have a question here. So, yeah. uh, and I, once again, spoiler alert, uh, when Fred at the end of the movie is revealed to be cheating on her and Shirley has never told uh, Rose, despite her knowing this, just like also like how she knew about the pregnancy uh, without having to be told uh, early on in the film. Is Fred cheating on Rose because of Rose's um, growth in, in her relationship with Shirley, or was that something you think that he was always going to do regardless? Oh, I think he was always going to do it. Yeah. I mean, he first goes to the Shakespeare Society, it's like on the first night, <laughs> yeah. more or less, yeah. isn't it? Like, yeah. So I think it was that always going to happen. He's, yeah, he's a yeah. man in power. He's about to become yeah. a professor at this university. And like that was the sh- when like we see Rose like walking down the hallway with like all of these girls like on the tree stump like that's saying like any of these girls could be Rose in her place but any of these girls could be Paula who's missing and any of these girls could be the person who's sleeping with her husband. I also think we see very early on that he is kind of uh, very swayed by the attention that he's receiving from these women at this college Mm -hmm. and he's very flattered by it and you see that he is being put down by Stanley and I think in some ways, like, he goes towards this attention because he is feeling uh, inadequate. condescended to and other, yeah, and inadequate in other parts of his life. And yeah. I think that's the moment I'm talking about. Whenever Shirley tells her that, Dan can tell you, I was texting him. I was like, I trusted yeah. <laughs> you. I feel betrayed. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. Shirley has always been this very cruel character. So, of course, she's going to hold on to that piece of information until the moment when it would be the most hurtful. So, or, so if we're to assume that Stanley knows uh, what Fred 
has been doing this whole time and is kind of basically pulling the strings and letting this all unfold and happen. Um, is he basically taking pleasure in this deterioration in uh, this couple's uh, relationship because he knows it's providing creativity um, and inspiration to his wife? I don't even think it's that nice of a motive. I think he okay. genuinely just enjoys like watching it deteriorate. And I also think that he probably sees it as just the way of the world. You know, he's also out having affairs and he probably doesn't even really see anything wrong with it. And he's also flirting with Rose throughout the film. Mm-hmm. So he clearly just doesn't really like, have, he doesn't have any respect for relationships very clearly, which I don't think is, it, I mean, I think that's a thing that a lot of men of that time uh, did. In that position. Yeah, but and then there's that scene at the the dean's uh, party where Shirley tells I, and I can't remember the character, but she tells the one character who's um, I guess into uh, Stanley a little bit like you <laughs> you would bore him right away basically. <laughs> She's and then like she checks her pulse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's like I find that um, relationship between the two. Um, it, it reminded me a little bit of the House of Cards relationship between. Um, Kevin Spacey and Robin Wright um, in the sense that they're not like maybe romantically like into each other, but they push each other and there's an element of their relationship where nothing will ever be um, boring. It will always be exciting and creative and like give them some form of uh, life, if you will. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I got it. Yeah, th- th- those are definitely the sections of the movie that I did find so much more interesting. And I think that when you compare it, like, with the couple of Shirley and Stanley against this younger couple that they introduce into their world, I just sort of felt like the younger couple's narrative felt just a little bit more conventional to me. Like, I feel like we've seen this in other movies about a famous person where they're seen through the perspective of this new character who gets introduced into their world. And, like, their parallels felt rather obvious to me, and I didn't really feel like it was really exploring such nuanced territory like it was when it was just focusing in on this creative process that Shirley Jackson was going through or this dynamic relationship with Stanley where they challenge each other and they hate but love each other at the same time. I, I sort of felt like when it was the younger couple, it was it was almost like just working with the notion of they came in thinking that they were very different, but they're not so different after all. And I just didn't really find that very compelling to me. I got sort of the themes that it was working with, but I just didn't feel like they were as nuanced as when we were just focusing in on the the older couple with Shirley and Stanley. Yeah, I I get that. I, I, I definitely understand where you're coming from with that for sure. I can see it. And also, too, let's be very, very clear. Um, this is not a conventionally easy movie to digest either. And even in a single viewing, I don't think I I do think this is a movie that demands uh, multiple rewatches because the screenplay um, is so, like I said before, just so incredibly dense um, and it has many, many layers to it and it doesn't unfold in a conventional way that normal biopics do um, or even normal coming of age uh, movies do. And I think a lot of that is also because of the style that Josephine Decker brings to the movie itself. As I mentioned earlier, I, 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 there, there are not that many filmmakers that give me so much excitement 
in regards to what else we're going to be able to see from them creatively. Uh, but Josephine Decker is certainly one of them. I mean, when she has people moving past the frame and sound effects uh, matching like the pans of the camera or um, the creaking of the house and just the, the mixing that goes into all of that. I, it, there's such an attention to detail in trying to create a mood and an atmosphere uh, that I just found to be so invigorating that the movie itself uh, just felt so vibrant and alive. You know, it just felt so it just felt so electric uh, to watch, even if the story itself uh, might be losing me from time to time. Um, her style uh, always, always had me on the edge of my seat, just wondering, like, "Ooh, what's going to happen next? You know, there's a moment in the beginning of the movie when um, the couple has just moved in and it's right after um Michael Stuhlbarg's character like drops the bomb on them like ah, our maid just left and we need someone to to take care of Shirley and watch the house and you young wife why don't you do it um where when she is in the kitchen and cleaning things up and the camera kind of pans around the room and the house is making noises and it reminded me so much of the haunting of hill house Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that I was like, okay, I am totally on this wavelength right here. And every time that they were able to reference one of her novels in or or short stories in the film like that, I thought it was really great. But the movie is, uh, to the extent that it's about anything, it's about um, Shirley Jackson writing "Hangs a Man," which is not one of her better known works. And not one that I'm very familiar with at all. And I can't, I couldn't help but get this feeling that like, if I knew that novel at all, that I would appreciate more of what this movie is doing. Um, and also like, it, it made it a little more ironic that, at the end of the movie, uh, Michael Stuhlbarg's character is like, this is the one. You've finally written the one. And I'm like, about a novel that is not anywhere close to her most favorite piece of writing? Okay. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I had the same thought. She I already was like... had the lottery, which was the one. Which, so, if that's like... true, Dan, then unfortunately, do we have to look at that line and that moment at the end as almost self-congratulatory um, on the screenplay's part? I, I, that's the thing. Like, I don't know there, there hasn't, I feel like it's such a minor work for her that there hasn't been like, maybe it was a really big deal at the time, but we just don't really know. Or I think another thing that you can maybe look at that ending with is that, well, maybe that's the point. Maybe you pour all of this effort and creativity and passion into this project and you feel like you finally created something that will stand the test of time and will be one of your unregarded masterpieces. And it does just sort of get forgotten. You know, I, it's sort of hard to take all that in with this greater context that I admit that I also don't have, but if, you know, that might be another layer that of storytelling that the movie's working with that you have this person that is so dedicated to their work and has to like tear their life apart in order to find the story that they want to tell. And they think that it's the most brilliant thing that they've ever done. And 
it might be considered minor work to other people, but for that person, it is a great piece of work that they've really dedicated themselves to create. How funny would it be if uh, Shirley itself, I mean, funny in a horrific sort of way, maybe, but like if Shirley then self-fulfilling prophecy wise is one of those movies that comes out in 2020, doesn't ever get talked about beyond 2020 and just gets lost (laughs) to time. And (laughs) I'm not saying I want that to happen, but I mean, it's almost like they made the movie thinking, yeah, we're going to pour our heart and souls into this and we're going to make something that's creative, that's original, uh, that's different. And we already know that no one's going to give a shit about it. <laughs> you know? I mean, obviously, that's not true because we're talking about it. But true. <laughs> but even if you don't know that much about Shirley Jackson herself or her other works, the film is kind of made as if it was a Shirley Jackson story herself. Like the right. way the entire film is made, you feel like you yeah. are in her work. That's how eerie and that's how creepy yet interesting it is. Like I read a review and it described it as psychosexual, which I thought was a really good way of describing this film because yes, you're constantly confused and creepy and not an unsafe but yet you're really fascinated and you're intrigued and you feel pity and you just want to keep dissecting and even though you feel like this isn't the most safe environment you still want to uncover more and you're still like tempted in which I think is what Shirley Jackson's work is all about and I think that's how Um, and that could also be talked about how Elizabeth Moss plays Shirley Jackson as well which I feel like we're going to talk about at length later but I feel like it perfectly talk it it's perfectly placed in the world of Shirley Jackson. I think we should talk yeah. about it now, actually. Um, She's fucking fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I had, I actually was, uh, you know, because I, I couldn't remember when I saw it initially at uh, Sundance. I was watching it this time asking myself, is this a co-lead situation or is Moss making a case for supporting? Because I do remember Odessa Young having the main perspective for the movie, but I, I think after a second viewing, I can I can probably confirm that this is a co-lead uh, situation. Yeah, the, there are enough scenes where it's just Shirley without um, the Odessa Young character. That right. It seems like, okay, it's not entirely from her perspective. Although, like, if I had to argue, I would say that she is the lead if there is one because we follow her arc more so. I think that, yeah, it's a co-lead situation, Yeah, as it turns out. The close-ups on her face and, you know, Josephine Decker really, really gets up and, you know, her <laughs> oh face with God. that camera. She can command the frame like no other. It's unreal. I'm obsessed with Odessa Young's face in this movie. Oh, I was talking about uh, Elizabeth Moss, but I mean, if we're going to talk about Odessa Young, (laughs) y'all know I was championing Odessa Young when Assassination Nation came out, so prophecy fulfilled on my part. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking the same thing the whole whole time throughout this movie, like, yes, girl. (laughs) I think this whole cast is so strong, but God, I mean, Elizabeth Moss, like, and listen, I've got some issues with Elizabeth Moss as a Human who does being. Who so, doesn't? Yeah, yep. I, I have to say it. We acknowledge it. I, I feel like we need to acknowledge it. Like, yes, that's sitting there. But, y'all, that scene in the bathtub. Oh, yeah. Like, is maybe the oh. single greatest piece of, like, acting. Maybe even the single greatest piece of, like, film work I've seen from a movie this year thus far. Wow. Everything about that scene, I was absolutely entranced in the way that it was shot, in the way that it was acted. And um, I just, I think that, you know, if anyone 
has been missing some of uh, Elizabeth Moss's bigger roles lately. Like, check this one out, and you will understand why people think she is so brilliant. Yeah, and what's really interesting for me is that I have never really been a big television watcher, so I have... Not that I'm, like, just now discovering Elizabeth Moss, but it is sort of interesting, at least for me, to really see this dynamic work as somebody who never really had the previous context of, like, Mad Men or The Handmaid's Tale. And, I mean, I feel like I'm just now getting in on a discussion that people have already been having for years at this point, which is, yes, she's brilliant. She inhabits these very complex characters, but able, but is able to find so much humanity and depth within them that make them so compelling. And it's like, yes, she's brilliant, but... But, like, everybody's been saying she's been brilliant for years. So it's like I'm now – I have officially joined the party where everybody else has been. Yeah. <laughs> Same, Josh. Same. It's interesting because, like, a combination of this and uh, an even more independent film that didn't really get seen, uh, Her Smell from last year, mm-hmm. and A Visible Man, which everybody saw um, – it's true, Josh, that, like, if, if you weren't on the bandwagon before, how can you not be now? And obviously, personal um, issues uh, might keep you off the bandwagon. I totally understand that. Uh, but the talent that she possesses is truly undeniable. Unreal. Yeah. And Michael Stuhlbarg, I was just happy for a change to see Michael Stuhlbarg uh, in a role that was more than just a uh, second-tier supporting uh, role in a large ensemble film. I was... So, so happy because we all know how talented he is as well from movies like um, A Serious Man, but he hasn't really had um, any, even Call Me By Your Name. He has that one big monologue, of course, but he's not in the movie all that much when you really think about screen time wise. So here it was just really, really fun to see him get an opportunity to really fly because some of his line readings and. I mean, like he was just so he was just so filled with energy in this role. It was ridiculous. I love how this is such a like creepy mirror image curdled version of the character he played in Call Me By Your Name. Oh, they're both they're both professors. Um, who and kind of shepherding younger people. Yeah, Yeah. shepherding. And it's that this one is he is nasty and creepy and possessive and just like you gross skin crawly. And I love how like I love it when actors are able to like flip to show us the sour side of their essential natures. And this is so it's such a great example of that. Yeah, there is a moment where he is flirting with uh, Rose, the Odessa Young oh, character, God. and he's got like crumbs in it all over his yeah. beard. And <laughs> yes. it's, such, it's such a simple thing, but it communicates so much about oh, that God. character in that yeah. moment. And the way that Stuhlbarg plays it is just to perfection. It's so effectively disgusting and creepy, but it works so well. God. So good. I, I also want to acknowledge that we haven't seen Michael Stuhlbarg on screen in three years since the 2017 trifecta of Call Me By Your Name, The Shape of Water, and The Post. So just to see him again on screen in such a large role, I, I'm telling you, I, I've always been a big fan of this guy's work, but uh, this was this was a fantastic chance to be reminded of how talented he can really be. And uh, he also has 
one of my favorite uh, lines in the movie as well, uh, which is in regards to the um, uh, the, when when he's talking about uh, the originality of uh, Logan Lerman's uh, dissertation, oh, and yeah. he's like he's like, oh, it's derivative. <laughs> oh my god, it was ridiculous. So funny. I also think that this is the kind of role that um, a lesser actor could easily overdo and mm. make it almost caricaturish, and he never takes it there. It still feels completely grounded in reality, even though it's really interesting and layered um it doesn't feel like too much or like he's ever pulling focus from you know elizabeth moss and and odessa young as as the focus should be on all right i think we're up to uh final thoughts here so um why don't we uh go around and uh issue some final thoughts on the movie um so why don't we uh toss it over to lauren first lauren any final thoughts on what's your grade for shirley shirley is so much that I don't think I could put into words. I think everyone's going to get a different interpretation on it, which I think makes the film even more fantastic. It's not my favorite film of the year thus far, but it is an amazing powerhouse. I love what it says about um, women's and women artists' relationship to men, especially at that time, and how that deals with their psyche and going into this rabbit hole and not knowing what's right and what's left and not really caring and how women can also save and maybe kill each other in that process. So I'm going to give it a solid eight out of 10. I can't wait to see it again. Awesome. Really cool. Uh, why don't we pass it over now to Dan? Um, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating movie. Um, I don't think it's a great one, but it definitely contains a great Elizabeth Moss performance. Um, a somewhat baffling Elizabeth Moss performance as per usual. Um, and the acting all around actually is just so strong <laughs> and the little um the little directorial flourishes that Josephine Decker is able to put in with these kind of fantasy sequences or visions or dream sequences and just the I, the the score we haven't really talked about the score um and there are moments in this movie when it feels like it was just someone uh, like with old silent movies, like how someone would just sit with the piano and kind of improv with what they're seeing on screen. And I really, really dug that. Um, I thought it was really kind of unique and I loved it. It's, it's also an eight for me. Um, it's, it's really good and I would not hesitate recommending it to anyone. Okay. All right. Let's go to Josh Parm. Uh, well, before I get into my like full summary, I just want to very quickly mention my favorite shot of the movie. And I'm not going to go into too much detail because I want people to enjoy it for themselves. But I will just say it involves a porch swing, which I think you might know what that shot is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go into too much detail because I want people to discover it. But I loved that shot so much. So well done. Um but overall, I think the movie is interesting. Um, I do have some issues with some of the way that it goes about with its storytelling. I think some parts are really engaging and other parts weren't as interesting to me. But overall, I still found it to be a really interesting portrait of this artist and their process and how they need to dig so deep to find creativity and just how much that is a complicated process to go through. So... 
Oh, I think for my grade, I'm going to say a 7 out of 10. I, I liked much of this movie. It did kind of frustrate me in other places, but I would still recommend people check it out. Okay. All right. Nicole? I really liked this movie. It's not my favorite movie of the year, but it's in my top five right now, easily. Um, I have to recognize the line and the line reading of when Shirley says... I'm a witch. Didn't anyone tell you? Um, fairly early on in the film is one of my favorite moments I've seen in a film. Not just this year. I think actually the past few years. I love that moment so much. I also want to give a little bit of a plug. If you don't have Hulu and you're looking to rent this movie, um, the North Carolina Film Festival that I've been to the past couple of years has made an agreement with Neon where you can actually rent the film through them and they will get half of the proceeds of it. And so if you are looking to um, watch this and you'd also like to support a small up-and-coming film festival while you're at it, they're only uh, they're going into their third year of running, then that is a way that you can buy it. Just look up Film Fest 919 and you can find all the details on their website. Nice. Cool. Did you say you're great? Oh, sorry. And my grade is also an 8 out of 10. I have some minor issues with it here and there. I don't think it's like a masterpiece, but I think it's a really strong, solid movie. I also want to uh, just call attention to uh, the blurry lenses, uh, once again, that uh, Josephine Decker uses to shoot uh, certain moments and sequences and how things you know, uh, rack focus continuously throughout. They're, they're just the shooting style of this movie is just so, so unique. And I love the final, well, it's not really the final shot. I wish it was the final shot of where the camera just holds on Elizabeth Moss's face while Stanley is reading oh. her novel. No, while he's telling her he has notes. Yeah, exactly. But, but it, it goes from her patiently waiting to him approaching to mm-hmm. um, even when he's uh, got lines of dialogue, it still stays on Moss's face. And just that brilliant piece of acting as we said before um i really really wish that was the final shot of the film but um i can't can't begrudge um how the movie goes uh, from there also want to give a shout out to the score of the movie uh really really dug the acapella the violin um and just like once again going back to the unsettling nature of the way that this film is constructed it's gothic and eerie but it's not a horror movie by any means whatsoever and I just really, really like the approach overall. Uh, when I saw this at Sundance, I gave it a 7 out of 10. Much like Josh, um, there were some things that were preventing me from fully loving it. Um, this second viewing, um, I'm so glad that I was able to do it uh, for this review because now I am also at an 8 out of 10 as well. I just find it to be so incredibly layered, so fascinating, and also something that I want to revisit again even for a third time. So... Definitely one of the stronger movies I have seen this year. And as far as any kind of awards potential goes, man, I kind of brought this up earlier. I I wanted to make an argument for Moss and supporting. I wanted to, but I can't. It's not it's not there. It shouldn't happen. She is definitely a co-lead. Um, and given the way that the year is going right now, who knows what's going to happen? But, you know, it's like... I know I would love to make an argument for Sarah Gubins for adapt. I guess this would be adapted. Yeah, be adapted, adapted screenplay. Yeah, yeah. It's adapted. I would love for that to happen. I would love to make that argument. <laughs> but I just don't think that the Academy is that cool. I, I would I would like to make an argument for that. But I just I just don't. It's missing the third act of the movie. Like it goes to this big moment with 
you know, between um, Shirley and Rose on, you know, on this, on this cliff, it comes this big moment and then just kind of ends. And I, I, I just, I, I it needed, like, I was, I was so happy that this was a movie that was under two hours long <laughs> yeah. because I don't think I could have taken it for over two hours, but like it could, it like five minutes, five minutes added to that that last act before it just kind of ends. so hold on wait, wait. Let, me, let me let me just back up would've... here you don't think the scene in the car where she says i'm not going to be your little wifey little rosy anymore um you don't think that that's cathartic enough to justify like the ending of that character's arc no and nicole and i were talking about this last night and we were both kind of like uh, so i disagree what happens? like what happens between the two of them is she now going off on her own is are they going is is it just that they're going to be together but she's not going to relegate herself to what Shirley has become like is like I get it thematically what's happening but in terms of the actual story I was left somewhat somewhat wanting I just wanted a little bit more room to breathe in that last section because it felt like my brain was struggling to comprehend everything (laughs) And, and and to be clear also, and Dan, I do sympathize a little bit because um, I was left with a similar feeling on my first feeling of the movie. So I get it. I definitely understand. I remember I remember walking out of that theater when I saw it at Sundance and I remember being a little perplexed by how it ended and thinking um, also to same thing you said, uh, which is, my God, that was under two hours because the way it was um, paced. And considering, uh, like I said, how tense and on edge I was throughout the movie, um, 107 minutes really felt like 137 minutes, <laughs> you know? So I, I get it. I, I totally hear where you're coming from with it. I definitely, though, like to Lauren's point, I definitely disagree. I think that yeah. Odessa Young's character ends up exactly where she needs to be uh, at that ending. I love Rose's stories ending. If I had to like nitpick, I would prefer the film to end with that and not end with Shirley because we started with Rose. I wanted to end with Rose. Yeah, I, that I makes sense. That yeah, would have helped considerably. So I feel if like the if we, her. yeah, yeah, I feel like if we switched the scene of like of uh, the husband reading Shirley's book and then having like and switching that with Rose leaving in the car, I would like that a lot better. Okay, cool. Going back to the awards uh, potential uh, for this movie here. You know, like I said, we're in interesting times right now where there's very, very little competition and streaming titles um, are eligible. So here's my main question. Do critics uh, go for Elizabeth Moss in Best Actress for Invisible Man, Shirley, or do they do both? They do both. I mean, they do the whole like body of work thing. It's for Shirley and the Invisible Man. Like, I could definitely see NYFCC and like Boston doing that. Or do you think that because there is the Invisible Man, that the campaign for Shirley will try to push her into supporting? That's what I'm wondering. This pull a K one slot. I think they'll try to campaign both, but I think Elizabeth, I think Invisible Man will head out. Yeah, because that's the one people, more people have yeah. seen. Yeah. 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 And she's great in both. She is. And like, she's great in both. 
I would prefer for like the annals of history for this movie to be the one that finally gets her an Oscar nomination and win. But like she herself is equally good in both. Yeah. Outside of that, uh, once again, I think the movie is too unconventional for for Academy uh, standards or rather forget about the word standards. That's a bad word. Just typically what they tend to go for. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Taste. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, if they're not going to I mean, here's the other thing, too. If they're not going to do Lupita Nyong'o and us, like, this isn't even a horror film like that movie. But it's like, I just, I, I don't know. I've kind of lost faith now in them going for um, performances and movies that uh, tend to be. Well, but I think this it's going to depend traditional. Yeah. Yeah, this movie is too, is so small, first of all. Mm-hmm. You know, like, they, they go for indies sometimes, but not like sort of. This is almost almost micro indie, except for that the cast is starry, you know. And they go for quote unquote mainstream indies. This is so yeah. and so in the arts world mm-hmm. that I don't think a mainstream audience or people who aren't aware of Shirley Jackson's either work or actual life will be able to understand or appreciate. Film independent, you guys know what to do. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that is more interesting to me is will critics go to bat for Josephine Decker in director? Yeah. Um, I think that she will pop up in a few places here and there. Uh, but a word to the wise right now, um, that's not going to happen. So don't get your hopes up. <laughs> I mean, I'm not ready to go happen. to bat for the screenplay. Not so gonna I, for the I would go to bat for the screenplay as well. I actually think that in a year like this where the competition is just so um, weak that I think if it was going to break through anywhere, uh, that would be the place. I mean, for some of those lines of dialogue, like I was not expecting this movie of all things to be the one that I filled up a whole page in my notepad with just quotes. Yeah. <laughs> but, but like, oh God, I, the way, there's this line that Michael Stubark has where he says, I hate sitting alone at dinner. It makes me feel like a widower or worse, a decrepit feudal lord. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's so many great one-liners in this movie and like not expecting that at all. But here we are. And a little bit of a plug here. Daniel Howitt, our very own, uh, interviewed uh, Sarah about the screenplay uh, for this movie. So uh, that'll be released as a separate podcast. So you guys can check out that interview uh, later on. Uh, We will be releasing that. In the meantime, feel free to check out Shirley for a um, first, second, maybe third time on Hulu. And Josh Parham, where can they find you on the Internet? You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. Nicole Ackman. I am pretty much everywhere on the internet at Nicole Ackman 16. Dan Bear. I am on Twitter at Dance and Dan on Film. And Lauren LaMagna. You can find me at the Twitter at Lauren LaMango. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Shirley here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback there and your support. Nothing less than five stars is acceptable. And also, too, feel free to head on over to Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time.
Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.